Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Max, and we are continuing through the Upper Room Discourse, uh, but we, we've paused on a statement that Jesus makes within here that has a lot of punch, a lot of power. Um, and there's a lot behind what he's saying. And so, uh, in John 14, let me read it to refresh our memories of what we're talking about here. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amazing stuff. Powerful stuff that Jesus says here. And, and we've been walking through. So we spent some time on the way. Uh, we've been uh, maybe a couple episodes in on the truth. And today uh, we're going to continue, I guess, part three of the truth. Because something something came up. Uh, we're, we're trying to get sort of a rounded perspective of how is, um, God, God making this statement, Jesus making this statement, I am the truth. What does that mean? What's behind that? And, and you've probably heard people say before, or you've said to people, um, the Bible is true. This is the truth. And a lot of people try to come against that and try to um, debunk scripture, so to speak. And so we started talking about Jesus as the truth with absolute truth, that there is an absolute truth out there. And there isn't this, uh, what our culture would say, like, know your truth, uh, which is kind of an interesting statement talking more about perspective, right? And then we talked about sort of the beauty of scripture and how God has protected it throughout time that at at different points in history, the Bible was controlled and was not readily available for everyone. And that we, if we want to know who God is, is we need to utilize um, God's word. It, it's God's inspired word. And and though men wrote it, it was inspired by the word of God. And there was a process in which that was put together, which we will talk about. But I want to hover for a moment because it came up again in uh, we at our church, at the church I work at, uh, we have something called Rooted, which is the discipleship pathway that we have chosen for our church. If you work on a church staff um, and happen to be listening to this and we and you don't have 
sort of you're trying to figure out, man, what what is a great discipleship pathway? And what I mean by that is once somebody has come to know Jesus, what is sort of the foundational place that you take them to understand the basics of who God is and how you walk in the way of Jesus? Um, how does that impact your life? Uh, rooted is a, a great way to do it. And I think a lot of times in churches, we try and reinvent the wheel um, rather than utilizing the resources that are already available. A major resource that I use all the time is the Bible Project. They do such a great job. Uh, that's Tim Mackey and John Collins out of uh, Portland, Oregon. And they have incredible resources that are very helpful, not just um, digging into Scripture intellectually, but uh, they've got these great videos that you can watch that are helpful for visual learners. And they're just doing such a phenomenal job um, walking through Scripture with people. But all that to say, uh, today we are going to talk about, because it came up in the Rooted group uh, that my wife and I get the opportunity to be in and facilitate, uh, for us, we're always going to continue to learn uh, who God is. We never graduate from student, and we get the opportunity to hang out with a group of people, and God does incredible things when we are together. Um, with his children, with the body of Christ. And it, it's exciting. So a question uh, came up or uh, some points were made because we were in the first week. Uh, and, and they came out of Genesis 3. And I want to bring this up because it has a lot to do with the truth of who Christ is. So in the garden... Man was made in the image of God. And then the first commandment that, or command, or, yeah, command that, that God gave to humanity was go, be fruitful, fill the earth, and subdue it. Basically, multiply my image and go work. Um, and a lot of times, we've talked about that before, that we are actually made to work. Um, and do work to the glory of God. Uh, and, and they were in the garden living the life, which we'll get to that, uh, living the life loved by God, chosen by God. They directly knew that choosing because they were the first man and woman created and they were placed in this beautiful world to work it, subdue it. Adam was tasked with naming the animals. I think that was all a part of the process in, in God creating this appreciation for his wife as well. But they were tasked with this life and they were close to God and God was close to them because there was no sin in the picture, right? A holy God could come close to a pure people. One, uh, a person that, that wasn't tainted by sin yet. But in Genesis 3, it says this, now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we 
may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, of the tree, sorry, singular, that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of your of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So why am I reading this? What does this have to do with the truth of who God is? This was the moment that everything shifted. Everything shifted. So before this moment, the focus was God and what he had um, asked them to do. It, it, I just imagine that there was this gratitude, this thanksgiving. They're living in this place. God had just created them. Their focus was God asked us to fill the earth and subdue it, to work the earth, right? And God loves us, so we're going to do what he asks us to do. Obviously, God created us for a plan and a purpose, so the healthy thing to do would be to do what this loving, infinitely loving God would ask us to do, that we have been created by a loving God for a loving purpose and a good purpose, and we're going to continue on in that and that was all they knew. Their worldview, their perception, the world revolved around God and his love and his goodness and his good purposes. But what the serpent does here is he challenges and questions God's goodness, God's love, and God's purpose. And he puts in their mind, hey, you might have a better way. He, he twists, he shifts the focus from God onto themselves, onto themselves, and in a sense, shifts the worship of their, it, within their hearts and their minds, shifts where they place their worship. Wow. So you're saying we could know the difference between good and evil. We could be wise. We could be gods. And so when that focus shifts, we then, as humans, have inherited what's called the fall, this obsession with ourselves. And the only way to break that obsession with ourselves is by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. Because sin sort of locks us into that mode. When you wake up in the morning, and this was the conversation we had at Rooted, when we wake up in the morning, um, at least when I wake up in the morning, 
I immediately think, oh man, I got to pee, right? I immediately start thinking about me or man, what is my day going to look like? Or what am I going to have for breakfast? Or I need a drink of water. And I am in a covenant relationship with my wife where I'm supposed to be selfless and thinking about her and loving her and nourishing her and cherishing her, right? As it says in Ephesians 5. But my first thought when I wake up is not, man, I wonder what Kim wants for breakfast. I wonder if Kim has to use the restroom. I wonder if Kim is thirsty. And it it's always about me. And if we're really honest with ourselves, our knee-jerk reaction is always about us. Always about us. Let alone it being about we wake up in the morning and go, man, God is good. I wonder what God wants me to do today. I wonder what God wants me to have for breakfast. You know? And and but that was that was what it was in the garden. It was let's wake up. Man, God is good. Look at this creation. What does God want us to do today? He said fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. And and that was what drove the day, not their own interests, but what God had asked them to do, this loving and good God. So everything had shifted. So now we sit in this place as uh, fallen human beings. We sit in this place where the truth of reality is centered around us instead of centered around God. There are so many pictures of God being like the sun. um, And I think that's so fitting because... The truth is, all of time and space revolves around its creator. It, it's for its creator. And so so we see in scriptures like Colossians uh, 1, right? It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. See, so so he he is the center of it all, through him or for him, right? He is the truth of reality. He is central to all existence. But we get so caught up on... On us, how does the world revolve around us? And even though we might know that from a bird's eye view, the decisions that we make day to day are by and large, how do I function? How do I do what I want to do, right? And it says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what has happened on the cross is that God, God's judgment was poured out, right? God's judgment was poured out. And on the cross, we, we always think of 
God, the God with a gavel, right? But God's judgment was on the cross. Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, within the Upper Room Discourse, that, that the judgment has, is coming. And the judgment is grace extended to all of existence, that through the cross, everything could be made right, that the shift could go back to God, could go back to God, that the world could revolve in our hearts and in our minds, that we would be jogged back into the truth of reality, the truth of of where we live and how we live, that everything revolves around God. It does not revolve around ourselves. So when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we say, God, I see what you've done on the cross, Jesus. I see what you've done. And Jesus sends his spirit to help us realize who he is. What do we do then? What do we do then? And I would say in John in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Man, I love that. I can't, I can't get over that. And then if you go down, so, so this basically reaffirms what, what it says in Colossians, right? That it's all about him. And in the beginning was the word. And this is referring to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. But what do we do with that now? How do we, how do we um, become proactive in this discovering of the truth of who God is? Well, it says in verse 14, if you continue in John 1, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen, not we're going to see, but but what it's saying here, that Jesus as the truth, is he has been revealed. I had a, a college professor in Bible college who's, who said, uh, we're, we're all praying for this revelation, right? He's been in churches where they pray for this revelation. But the revelation is in Scripture. The revelation is the Word of God. What has been packed together in this, in this book, I'm holding it in my hands, that's why I'm saying that, in this book, um, the, the revelation of who God is is here. His attributes, the way he interacts with his people, it's all right here. The truth of who God is is all right here. We have but to open it up day by day and read it and discover who God is and walk with him. That, that by the power of the Spirit, that this revelation is illuminated we're looking for illumination of the revelation of who God is. It's not this new thing. He has revealed himself in Scripture. So as we approach the Word of God, as we come closer and closer to him day by day, and we meet with him day by day, we come to Scripture looking for him, not looking for us, not looking for who 
we are, but who he is. And our identity flows from who he is, who he created us to be, because we are made in his image. Do you see what I'm saying here? That he is the truth of reality. We are not our own reality. We are not the reality. He is the reality. And we see that in Colossians 1. We see that in John 1. And we see that through the whole story of the Bible. That God is the center. He is at the center. He is the infinitely loving, infinitely good God that gave us life and purpose. And we got off track at the fall. We see things for us instead of seeing things for God. So, so as we continue this conversation about the truth of who God is, and as we continue in the challenge that I challenged you with last time uh, we were on here, read scripture, continue to read scripture and ask those questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about me flowing from who, what it says about God? And what does this say about my relationship with God? Just answer those three questions as we're walking through Scripture day by day, discovering not what to do, but who God is. And I encourage you to do that. Read Scripture daily. Pray. It's so simple. But the Holy Spirit comes and points us to Jesus and makes much of Jesus day by day and gives us life and purpose because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's walk in it. Let's discover who he is and let's live the life that he has created us for. Hopefully this is a blessing to you guys. I love you guys. Can't wait to be together the next time we get to. Uh, we will be continuing our conversation through this amazing statement by Jesus in John 14. Talk to you guys then. Looking forward to it.